Let's open up to Revelation chapter 8. Many of you have heard of Herman Melville's famous novel, Moby Dick. Right? It's a story of Captain Ahab's self-destructive obsession to hunt down the whale that bit off his leg. Now, Captain Ahab's passion for vengeance is countered, however, by his first mate's desire to return safely home to his family. His first mate is a man called Starbuck. And you guys have heard of Starbucks coffee shop? Well, this is where it, it was inspired from and originated from. This, the Moby Dick came first. It was written in 1851. Starbucks came 120 years later, 1971, right? Just in case you're wondering. But in that, no, in that novel, there's a line that applies to our text for today. Starbuck is speaking to the ship's crew, and he says this. He says, I will have no man in my boat who is not afraid of a whale. Now, his perception, according to his view, a healthy fear of the peril at hand is good when encountering danger and wanting to make it home safely. Giant whales are lethal, and without a proper fear, a sailor won't be as vigilant as he needs to be in light of the risks involved. A and in essence, what, this is what John is communicating at this point in the book. This revelation was written to cultivate a healthy awe and fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ and, 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 you know, his goodness. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, his blood that washes away our sins. But he's not just a lamb. He's also a lion. And there must be a healthy fear within us. We have to have, in one sense, that mentality of Starbuck, who said that with that healthy fear, I'll make it home to my family. And so for us, as we're studying through the book of Revelation, we're coming to some heavy stuff now. And there needs to be that within us. As the proverb says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we can't mess around with these things. I mean, the things that are headed for our earth, the, the meteors, the pandemics, the craziness that's going to take place, it's real. And so we need to have that understanding you know, Moby Dick was the king of the sea, but Jesus is the king of the world. He's the king of the jungle, the king of kings. And so as we draw near to here in the book of Revelation, I pray it would cultivate within us a healthy fear of God. Look what we read here in verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, we're in this section of, the, of Revelation where we're looking at after the rapture, after these things. It says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So after the church age, there's the rapture that ushers into the tribulation period. 
Now, during the tribulation period, there is judgment going on, but there's also a great harvest of souls. There's going to be much salvation during that time as well. And so, when we look at the tribulation, we see the seven seals followed by the seven trumpets, followed by the seven bowls of wrath. And so, we're in the middle now. We're coming to the end of the seals and entering into the trumpets. And the first thing we see here in verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And so when you, when you look at that, this may very well be the first and only time in all eternity where there is silence such as this. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about these four living creatures that they don't rest day or night, but they're just constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we've been talking about praise. And I, I can't really imagine a time in, in, in heaven where there would be silence, especially for 30 minutes. But now there's this silence. It's deafening. It's for 30 minutes. It's in heaven. And remember, we're talking about the whole world is there. All the redeemed are there. there there's billions of people that are there. And there's silence for 30 minutes. I mean, for us, we couldn't do that. None of us here. You guys would go crazy right here. You can't even, we can't even do 30 seconds of silence probably. But, you know, you, you wonder why is there silence for 30 minutes in heaven? And more than likely what happens, you guys, is that he unseals the scroll and that the people somehow are able to see the devastation that's about to take place on planet Earth. All the people who are about to perish and there is this silence. You know, more than likely, it's due to the severity of the judgment. And we read similar things about this in Psalm 76, 8 and 9. It says, you caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. Habakkuk 2, verse 20, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Zephaniah 1.7 says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. And then in Zechariah 2, verse 13, it says, Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And so there is this silence, this lull before the storm. Pastor Sandy Adams said, Now a holy hush falls over the halls of heaven for half an hour. It's so quiet you can hear a pin drop. It's as if heaven gasps at about what's to happen. You know, some people, I think, have a huge misconception of God. They think that he rejoices in judgment, but he doesn't. You know, we read, for example, in Ezekiel 33 in verse 11, the God says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So for, for 30 minutes, all the redeemed, all the angelic beings, God himself is silent because of what's about to take place. And, and I just want to, you know, going through this chapter, there's a lot to glean. Um, I'm going to give you guys a few words along the way. One word that I think of right off the top of my head is holiness, how God is holy. This is why he must judge. There is this holiness to God. But then the second word is loveliness. 
loveliness. I mean, he has to judge because of his holiness. He can't violate his nature. But he loves us so much that here he is for 30 minutes, 30 minutes, just silent before this happens. And we need to know that uh, about God, that that's his heart. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We don't go around and, you know, telling people and judging people in a condemning way. You know, if there is a time where you talk about hell or judgment, let there be a compassion in our voice. That's God's heart. You know, the unsealing of the seventh seal is followed by 30 minutes of silence, and then it paves the way for the seven angels who stand before God to receive seven trumpets. Now, it's interesting. Again, this is speculation, but the Jews had a, a concept of seven angels, and they actually have them all by name according to their apocryphal names. And so who knows? Maybe that's true or not. But these are seven special angels who stand before God to receive the seven trumpets, and please understand that these uh, trumpets the angels have, will not, they're not going to be playing entertaining music. Okay, these are trumpets to sound the alarm. They're trumpets for battle. They're trumpets of warning. And I believe they're also trumpets of truth that throughout this whole process, and we're going to see in, the, in all, the, in all the, the tragedies, there's going to be prophecies. There's going to be preaching that's taking place. And so the, the trumpets sound. Uh, they're just about to sound here in Revelation 8. But before they do, another angel with a golden censer, which would be a bowl that would have all the, 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 the incense that was burning, and it came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God. And so, before that judgment takes place, there's that silence. But then there's this picture of prayer in, in heaven. And so, you know, you got this angel, and he's given much incense. And more than likely, it's because there's much prayer that has gone on. There's much prayer. There's, like, many times we have prayed, thy kingdom come. Many times we have prayed, Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I, I need you uh, to help me. All the prayers that we pray in this broken world, they're, they're in that bowl right there, and God cherishes them so much that they, when, they, when that time comes, they're all kept in that bowl. Not one of them disappears. Not one of them has evaporated. Every single prayer, like, like Mark was saying before the service started today, that, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom so we can come. He doesn't waste any of those prayers. And there they are in the bowl, and then the incense is given, and then they take the, the coals from the brazen altar, this is how they would do it there in the, in the holy place. There was the altar of incense. They would take the, the coals from the brazen altars where there was the sacrifices that were being made. And they would bring it and then they would offer it with the incense. And it would rise in the nostrils and into the presence of the most holy place. And so basically what we're seeing here is all those prayers that you prayed for righteousness, for justice, for holiness, for Jesus, all those prayers are about to be answered. And that's why I think it's good that we pray those prayers because I don't know about you, of course we want all those to be saved that will be saved, but man, the, you look at the world today and our hearts are like, Lord, please come soon. And so this um, event takes place 
And then we see, I, I believe in that event, not only the holiness and loveliness, but the graciousness and that we can come to this throne of grace and, and the faithfulness of God who answers prayers. In response to those prayers, the, altar, the angel takes the censer filled with fire from the altar and he throws it down to the earth. And the Bible says there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And, you know, when you look at the scriptures, you see this clearly as an answer to prayer and praise. So let me give you a couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place they were, where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so here's a time where they're praying, and God sent an earthquake, and he answered the prayer. And then there's another time where they were praising. In Acts 16, verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And so you guys know, huh? A lot of our praise songs have to do with the return of Jesus Christ. And so when, you know, this bowl is given to God and, you know, the incense rises and then the response you know, thundering, soundings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Heaven affects earth, and God begins to answer this prayer. You know, and I, I don't know, and we, we tried to talk to, the, uh, we, we try to give this message out, and Saturday morning when we were with the, the men for prayer, there's a young man there, and I was telling him, you know, I know you're younger, and if the Lord tarries, you're still going to be here um, for us as a church, we do believe that Jesus can come at any time, but we don't know for absolute sure because we know that with him, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day, right? And so there is that, that urgency, but, but what we find in looking at this is that the reality of it, no one knows the day or the hour. And so we always have to live with that balanced perspective. So we got to keep praying and we got to keep praising and as we do, one day, that prayer will be answered. Imagine that. We're going to see that, you guys. We're going to be there. We're going to see that bowl, and we're going to smell that incense, and it's going to be so amazing. And so we read in verse 6, The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. And so we now move from the seven seals to the seven trumpets. The first four trumpets have to do with the environment, and we're going to see that will affect mankind, while the last three trumpets deal directly with mankind. You know, and, and the environment is a big issue nowadays, isn't it? We hear a lot about global warming, and perhaps there's something to that. I think only the Lord knows, but there, when we're talking about the environment, we need to think more along the lines of global warning. Not global warming, global warning. All the things that we see going on in our environment, they're all basically warnings to us. It's almost like if someone were to come to you and they were to threaten your family and you have a gun in your hand, okay? so you know, you better not come any closer or I'm going to shoot you because I'm going to protect my family, right? And so what do you do? You fire a shot in the air 
Or maybe you fire one on the side. Or maybe you, you know, shoot him in the foot. I don't know. But there's these warnings. There's these warnings. Lest, you know, we don't take this lightly. And what we see going on in our world today is, is God warning us. That's what we see. You know, we see here the first angel sounds the first trumpet, and John sees hail and fire mingled with blood thrown to the earth. Now, you know, Joel chapter 2, verse 30, it tells us something similar. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Now, you might wonder, how is that going to happen? Blood and fire and, you know, pillars of smoke and all that. Well, I do know that God would change, God had the capacity to change water to blood. He did that many times in context of judgment. And so maybe with that hail, the Bible talks about how he has treasuries of hail in heaven. One day when all that comes down, that's the way it's going to come down. It could be directly like that. It could just be from God. It could be the result of volcanic eruptions. Some speculate the, the, that the volcanic activity spewing up into the atmosphere all around the world and descending down upon planet Earth would look exactly like this. Others point to the possibility of a nuclear explosion which compresses the humidity, shoots it up into the upper atmosphere where it freezes and falls back to Earth as ice. And so, you know, that's not, God can do it supernaturally, but things can happen with a volcano. Things can happen with a push of a button. And what God is saying is this is all real. One third of the trees will be burned up and all green grass is burned up. Now the green grass, just in case you're wondering, is not in reference to your lawn. It's in reference to vegetation, the herbs, the gardens, the farms. Think about that. All of it. All of it is burned up, the Bible says. It's an, an environmental catastrophe. Now, some might look at that and they say, well, it's too severe. Uh, we're going to hear this 11 times in this chapter, that one-third of this and one-third of that. How can God judge 33% of the trees in the gardens? That's so much damage. But, but we always look at things backwards, don't we? It's mercy. He allows two-thirds to live. Another aspect of mercy, I believe, is that as the trumpets are sounded, accompanied with these trumpets all along the way are truth, that with these calamities, there will be prophecies. Uh, for example, we're not there yet, but in Revelation chapter 11, we're going to read about the two prophets, and they are uh, preaching the gospel and their instruments of truth as well as instruments of judgment. And so let me tell you something, like, like if I were to share whatever, some crazy signs and wonders simultaneously while preaching the gospel, I'll bet you a lot more people would believe. Now we need to receive by faith, but they're going to see it there firsthand. And there will be a great harvest during the tribulation period. Just as we've talked about this virus, you know, it's a horrible thing that we see uh, going on, but... but you know, and, and there are different responses to it, but if you got the virus or if your cousin got the virus or your uncle got the virus, the one that you've been telling them about Jesus, you've been telling them all about Jesus and they don't want to listen, but then they get the virus and then they're there and they're facing death, I'll bet you almost anything they'll listen. Now, of course, we don't know for sure, but all I'm saying is that even in this, even in this, God is saving souls. So there is mercy 
even in judgment. And we're going to see that happen. You know, when those two prophets come, it's amazing what happens, how God uses them to minister. We're going to see that in Revelation uh, chapter 11. In verse 8 it says, And then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And so the second angel sounds a second trumpet, and this great mountain burning that's on fire, it falls into the sea, and quite possibly a a meteor, uh, right? Uh, Or maybe it has something to do with a nuclear weapon, but but more than likely a, a meteor, and again, we see that fraction, one-third of the sea creatures die, one-third of the ships are destroyed, which it comes out to many, many people, much damage and for many reasons. Uh, they say that there's always close to 5,000 naval ships carrying 2 million men and women. Uh, they say that there are always 45,000 cargo ships traveling the seas, I don't know if there's going to be any luxury liners in the days that we live in now, but imagine the devastation. One-third of the sea creatures, one-third of the ships, uh, one-third are destroyed in the sea. And not only that, uh, one-third of the ocean becomes blood. Now, this might be in reference to something that we read in Exodus, uh, the supernatural way that God turned the river to blood. Uh, But it also might just be the natural way that people die. All I know is we can't even begin to imagine what it will be like here in those days with one-third of the oceans affected like this. As a matter of fact, something interesting, most of you probably know that the oxygen that we receive, they say anywhere from 50 to 80 percent is from the, the, the... the living uh, organisms, plankton, and other uh, aspects there in the ocean, that's where we get most of our oxygen from. Okay, so you've already destroyed one-third of the trees, and now one-third of the plankton in the ocean, which provides anywhere from 50 to 80% of our oxygen. Can you imagine living here in those days? What we find is that God is warning us and I think a, lar- a large reason is because he wants to warn through us. You know, you, you, you read about a meteor here, and you're like, man, you know, I'm already 50, you know, two years old. I, na- I never seen no meteor. Well, believe you me, uh, it's not far-fetched for one to hit our earth. And I think that in one sense, God has been warning us for many, many years. They say that there are uh, uh, 1,800 meteors per second, per second that enter our atmosphere, and they get burned up by the Earth's atmosphere, which is when we are able to see them, right, when they're burned up. They see an estimated 25 million meteoroids, or micrometeoroids, and other space debris enters Earth's atmosphere, 25 million, every single day. Now, the average size of of these are grains of sand, and they say that anything fist-sized or smaller will vaporize before hitting the ground. But when we see all this happening all the time, about one million kilograms of dust per day settles to the Earth's surface. And so now it's interesting to me, and I've always been fascinated by this, the way that the Lord has brought us to a place where we can see these things. You know, planet Earth is on the, it's like, they say it's like a cinnamon roll. 
And they say that we are in this place where we have a window seat out into space. You guys ever go sh uh, flying on an airplane? And how many of you like the window seat? I like the window seat because I can lean my head right there and sleep, <laughs> man. But some people like the window seat because they can see outside. Well, that's where God has placed planet Earth in the galaxy. We can see all these things, much more than just this. But even this and the technology that we have now to be able to see all these meteors and all these things that are entering into our atmosphere, I believe it's God's way of allowing us to heed these warnings, at least to hear the warnings. Imagine if God pulled back one-third of the protection. Then we would have 600 meteors per second hitting the ground. Imagine if a meteor or asteroid the size, like it says right here, of a great mountain is allowed to strike our planet. Again, now it's interesting how we can discover this, but we know there are 20,000 major asteroids in the belts that we travel through. One single asteroid of simply a kilometer across hitting any of the major oceans in the world would cause more damage in a full-scale nuclear exchange, all nations involved. It would cause 200-foot tidal waves on every shore connected to that ocean. It would explode on impact due to its speed combined with its kinetic energy equivalent to its mass in TNT. And so you're thinking, yeah, but that's far-fetched. Well, listen to this. Today, top scientists are saying that the question is not if such a celestial body will strike the Earth, but when. The mathematical probabilities render this an eventual certainty. And when it happens, it will likely involve a significant celestial body striking the Earth at a minimum of 130,000 miles per hour. Now, we, we know what's happening, not because the scientists say, but because the Bible says. But even the scientists, even those who don't believe in God, are acknowledging exactly what the Bible says. Pastor Sandy Adams said, NASA is currently tracking as many as 4,000 NEOs, or what's called near-Earth objects streaking through space. Almost monthly, we hear of another potential strike. Recently, there was a National Geographic special which referred to these projectiles in terms that John uses here in the book of Revelation. In National Geographic, they called them mountains tumbling through space. This is exactly what we see here in the book of Revelation. According to the European Space Agency, of the 600,000 asteroids orbiting through our solar system, about 20,000 are considered near-Earth objects. And so, Donald Yeomans, he's an astronomer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, has made this statement, that space is filled with objects that threaten Earth. Sooner or later, our planet will be struck by one of them. And so for now, it's as if God is, is just firing warning shots across space to call us to repentance. We see it here. Verse 10, it says, Then the, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell. The Greek word is aster. We get our word asteroid. fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. 
And so the third angel sounds the third trumpet. And I, I think for a second service, we're going to try if we can get a, see if we can get a trumpet sound. It'd be cool how to hear the trumpet. You know, something like that, right? <laughs> but, but much better than that, right? And the third angel sounds that third trumpet. And it's like this great mountain burning with fire. Uh, it's like a torch. And this time it's not on the salt water. It lands on the fresh water. And so interesting, um, it's called wormwood, which is used in, frequently in the Bible of bitter calamities. Here it's poisonous and fatal to the very waters of the world. So you guys are Christians. Uh, at least I, I'm assuming, I'm hoping all of you are, but only the Lord knows, right? If you're not a Christian, you're going to be living in these days. And so if you are a Christian, praise God, huh? we're going to get raptured. We're not going to see this. But doesn't it also put inside of you like an urgency, like especially because we see this sun setting, that I need to do my part? I, I, I get to teach the Bible on Thursdays and Sundays and little things throughout the week. I have there's only so much I can do. And then praise God for our pastors, and they do so much, and overseers who oversee mis uh, ministries. But whatever your part is, whatever part of the body you are, please, I pray, be faithful in that. Because these things are real. And so you might not be worried about this. You're like, well, I'm not going to be here. But don't you have a heart that says, well, I don't want my neighbor to be here either. Or God, see, the way that it works in life, we, we probably can't save the world, although I, sometimes I wish I could go you know, on CNN or something and say, hey, repent. Turn or burn. Sometimes you wish you can maybe tell the whole world, but we only have a sphere of influence. And so we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, who do you want me to share with? And if God has been putting people on your heart, God has been saying, hey, I want you to do this. Uh, these are not days to drag your feet. That's all. And what happens is when the whole body does their part, each member does their part. Ephesians 4 talks about that. Then, then we'll see the results, and God is going to do a great work. And we see this right here, maybe not a warning to us, but a warning through us, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, vegetation is gone. We're talking about the, the seas are impacted. We're talking now about the very water that we drink. If a giant comet or meteorite impacted Earth, it could tip our planet further on its axis and even alter our orbit, thus reducing exposure to the sun by a third. And we see that there in verse 12. It says, And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And so recently we had these fires, and you guys know how it affected the skies. You look at the sun, it's not the same. The moon, it's not the same. And so more than likely it's in reference to the atmospheric changes that affect our perception of these lights. Jesus talked about this in Luke 21, 25 through 28. So verse 13, John says, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And, and I pray, you, you know, you look at this right here, and you might say, well, he's just, you know, pronouncing doom. But, but you got to see, he's warning. Listen, I, I love you guys. I'm going to try to say this as nice as I can. 
But if you're not right with Jesus Christ, if you're playing games with God, I pray that today you would come to the mercy and you would give him your whole heart. Because you do not want to be left behind. Woe, 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 he says to the inhabitants of the earth. And that was an Old Testament word that they used frequently. Uh, the, the, the prophet Isaiah, he used it uh, 22 times in his prophecies. And the thing about Isaiah that was crazy, you guys have uh, read the book of Isaiah, it's a beautiful book. And he's just pronouncing woe after woe after woe. Woe to the world because of the judgment that will happen unless they repent. But he also is a great prophet that preaches Jesus, huh? When you look at Isaiah, it's beautiful how messianic it is. But you know how Isaiah died? They sawed him in half. Imagine being sawed in half. I mean, it's one thing to have the guillotine come down on you, but imagine being sawed in half. Why? Why was he so hated by the enemy? Because he warned the people and because he preached Jesus. And those are the things that we need to do. And that's what we see here in the book of Revelation. You know, it's repeated three times. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there are 600 warnings about the destruction of the wicked and eternal punishment in the Bible. 600 warnings. Why? Because God is holy, holy, holy. And that's why we see the woe threefold here at this point, because it's intensified. Where he says right here, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, it's a play on words. And what he's saying is not just those, it's not just a geographical location. It's, it's deeper than that. These are people who uh, are settled down and at home in, in the earth. These are people whose personal character is not Christ-like. In other words, their character is earthly instead of heavenly. They are worldlings who reject the things of God. And so we need to know, you guys, God tells us the future, not just for information, but I believe, you know, for transformation. Hey, Manny, I want you to know this is what's going to happen. So tell the people as you're teaching through the book of Revelation, this is what the future holds. And God's track record on prophecy is 100%. Believe you me, Jesus said, every jot, every tittle will come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away before everything is fulfilled. This will come to pass. And so we're sharing these things so you know the future so that it would affect the present. You know, life is good. Life is fun. But first... The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. And make sure you have that priority in your heart. Because God will judge one day. Let me close with a story about Uncle Sid. I don't know if you guys heard about Uncle Sid, but he was arrested on a burglary charge and he was found guilty. But before the judge passed sentence, Sid's lawyer tried one more tactic. He said, Your Honor, my client did not break into the house. The living room window was open, and so he inserted his right arm and removed a few items. Now my client's arm is not my client, so I don't think you should punish him for an offense committed by one of his limbs. 
And the judge replied by saying, well, that's an interesting argument. Tell you what I'll do. I'll follow your logic and sentence the defendant's arm to one year in prison. He can accompany the arm or not. That's up to him. As his gavel hit the wood and made its final judgment. That's when a big grin came over Sid's face. And he calmly removed his artificial arm. He handed it to the judge and he walked out of the courtroom with his lawyer. And the men laughed all the way home. You know, there are a lot of folks like Sid who've learned how to beat the system, so to speak. They've always seemed to escape, to slither through, to avoid a judgment. And they, they sin with impunity. They sin without any fear of God. Punishment somehow always gets avoided. But that'll end when these trumpets begin to blow. God will see to it that justice is served once and for all and so you guys you know no no messing around are, are you ready are you a believer on the lord jesus christ do you know the power of his blood has his love entered into your heart and then spilled out to others can your wife see it can your husband see it can your children see it can your co-workers see it can the people see it the way that you're a christian I pray, remember what C.H. Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you're ready. D.L. Moody said, I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord may come before I preach another. And so I need to ask you today, are you ready? If not, I pray that today you would take that step of faith come to that place where you belong. There has to be a healthy fear of God. That's the only way really we're going to make it home. Like Starbucks said. <laughs> like the Bible says.